really enjoyed this weekend. And um, the more that I, I travel and speak uh, as part of what I do, it's not all of what I do. And I have, as I've gotten older and as I have been exposed to more and more of the Bride of Christ, I am more and more convinced that to do anything for Jesus and his church is the highest honor. The church is the thing he loves more than anything. You guys are the thing that he loves more than anything. He loves his church like a husband, like a good husband loves his wife. And it's, it really is such an honor. So thank you for having me here this morning. I want to say something as we get into our message today that, you know, when we approach this book, we are approaching God himself. This book is inspired by his spirit, and not inspired like a movie is inspired by true events, you know what I mean, where it's like, that wasn't at all like what happened. It's inspired is in the sense that the source of this book, the source of these words is God himself and God's spirit. And and so when we approach it, we're approaching God, but this is why, I want to explain why this is especially important today, because sometimes we approach God's word and it speaks encouragement to us. And there are, sometimes there's, there's words of comfort that God has for us in his words. They're, they're totally here. And there are times and we read these places and we have promises of, just this morning I, I was reading in Psalm 49 actually about how when the world seems chaotic and driven by forces that are just like, that you can have peace that the Lord rules over all. It was just a great word of comfort for me this morning. But sometimes God's word speaks challenge. And it reveals something in us that needs to change or it calls us to some sort of action. And it's in these times that if we don't remember what we're interacting with, who we're interacting with, we're tempted to take this like a self-help book. Um, actually, no one reads self-help books anymore. We're tempted to take it like a life hack or a five-minute craft. You, you know, have you guys seen those where it's like you sort of read it and you look at it and you're like, mm, maybe, maybe not. I'll, I'll decide, you know, like maybe this will work, maybe it doesn't work. And you kind of take what you want and leave what you want. And, and that's kind of how we, we filter a lot of things. And if we're not remembering that this is the word of God speaking, we're going to be tempted to come to challenging things and be like, mm, maybe for some, right? But that actually is not how we do this. When we approach this and there's something that we disagree with, we are always wrong. Okay, and this is just really important because it can be trusted and not wrong like in a beat down sort of like, you know, it's just like we have to sort of look at this and say, I, I don't know that I fully understand this. I don't know that I feel it all the way, but I'm going to trust that it's right. And God, would you help me to see this and to shape myself around this? And so today we're going to approach a passage that um, is a command to do something. And it's not a popular command especially in the climate of today. But I want us to determine right now that as we go into this, that what we're going to hear from God today is right. And it's for our good, actually. And that even before he speaks anything to us today, that we're going to sort of, in our hearts, in our minds, say, Lord, whatever it is, the answer is yes. 
You know, there's that old song, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You know, it's like, I've, I've always thought that that's a good thing to sing, like before you start reading the word, because you're like, I've already told you my answer. Uh, and so this is what we're going to do. And so if you um, have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Philippians chapter two. If you don't have a Bible with you here, this is in your bulletin. Everything we're going to read today is right off of this. And uh, Philippians chapter two, it's going to be on the screen as well. Would you stand with me as we, as we read God's word? So starting in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you ought to look only, not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, help us to see your word today. So, I want to look at just a couple of things in this passage today. But I want, before we begin, I want us to look at who this command applies to before we sort of get to that part of it. Notice what it says as we, as we start here. It says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... And so when we read that, we ought to understand that what we're about to read next, what's going to happen, what's going to follow this, it isn't for super Christians. It's not for missionaries or pastors or even youth pastors. Um, Like, it's it's not for any of these, like, you know, oh, you know, that's, you know, this seems really hard and I don't know if I can do this. So we'll leave that to some of the other, like, you know, deeper, holier, better Christians than I am. Look, this is day one stuff. What follows here is day one stuff. It's just, it's for newbies, right from the beginning. If you're not here, actually, if you're not in this place of having any, any participation of the Spirit, any of these things, you actually, God hasn't done anything in you yet. Because we, we can't get out of this command, is, is the idea. If we are followers of Jesus, and this is written specifically to the church, if we're followers of Jesus and we come to a place like this, we can't, there's just no way for us to get out of here. You're like, oh, yeah, Chris, I can't be expected. Yes, yes, you can. If there's any of this in you. Because the good news of Jesus is this. It's kind of this, this two-part uh, thing. Tim and I were talking about this yesterday, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, totally sinless in that he didn't do anything that was wrong. And then he also didn't leave anything good undone, right? So he, he didn't do all that he wasn't supposed to do, and he did all that he was supposed to do, and yet he dies like a sinner. Why? It's so that we can trade our sinfulness for his sinlessness, and we can trade all of our undone right, uh, all of our undone things for all the things that he did, and he's able to forgive us in our place. 
But the other half of the gospel is that when he does that, he actually takes, this is such a crazy concept, we don't have time to go into this today, but if you think about it, it kind of blows your mind a little bit that he will take some of the Spirit of God and actually put it inside of you. That the Spirit of, of God that created everything, that holds everything together, the Spirit of God dwells in us. And so that happens when he saves us. And so if this has happened, if the Spirit of God is in us and has begun to change us, if any of that has happened, this is for us. And so this, so what does it say? It says, if you have any of the Spirit, if this is day one, listen, I understand there are some things in Scripture that are hard to understand. There are some passages where you read it and you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I wish I had someone like to help me with this, right? Listen, this is not one of these passages, okay? This, this isn't one of them. This is for all of us. And so the first thing we need to see here is that this is for every follower of Jesus. What we're going to see here is for everyone. And so if we look at this command, um, listen to what it says. He says, complete my joy. And then he says a couple things. Number one, by being of the same mind. I want you to be of the same mind. Now, this isn't like a robotic, like we should all sort of be hooked up to the matrix and, you know, like all thinking the same thoughts. What it means is that we are to think generally the same way. We are to approach life with a kingdom perspective, right? That we generally believe the same things, especially things about Jesus, about the Bible, about the church, about, the, about God, about God's plan on the earth. These are the things that we hold in common. We have a same mind. I know this is going to sound a little weird, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. You have more in common with a Democrat from California who loves Jesus with all of their heart than you do with someone born and raised in Minot who's a conservative that doesn't know the Lord. Now, I know that seems weird, and some of you, I can see it on your faces, like, you can't even be a Christian. Like, listen, just, this is true. Because sooner or later, at some point, the conversation is going to get deep enough where you're going to hit the crux issues of life, and there's going to be major differences between those who have surrendered and submitted ourselves to Christ and those who haven't. And that is what this means. When you have the same mind, it's like get past all the fluff of the things that change. But when you get to the core of, of truth and who we are, we're to have the same mind. We do have the same mind. And then it says you're to have the same love, right? Being of the same mind, having the same love. And look, I know there's different definitions of love in society. Um, and, and we have a definition of love in the Bible, right? Lots of places, 1 Corinthians 13 is a great synopsis of that. But here's what I want to suggest to us, that not only do we have the definition of love, not only would we sort of define love in the same way, but we actually experience the same love. And here's what I mean. When God fills us with his spirit, we have the same love. Caleb and I have the same love in us. Kelvin and I have the same love in us because it's the love of Jesus that's in all of us. And so we have the same mind because we understand what God has, has renewed our minds with the spirit of truth, but we also have the same love. And so the idea here in this command is that we are to be in full accord and of one mind. We are to be unified around the person and message of Jesus. We are to be one. One of the most challenging places in the Bible in the last couple of years for me as I've been reading and meditating on it has been um, the last few chapters of John, especially John 17, but also John 13. I just want to paraphrase a couple of lines from that. In John 13, 35, 
he says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, love one another. Um, if you love one another, the world is going to know that you're my disciples. So someone who isn't a believer is going to see the way Tim and I love each other, and they're going to say something like, wow, Tim and Chris must be disciples of Jesus. Like, because, man, they just, they really love each other, and that's, that, that Jesus told these guys to love, and like, I, I believe it. I believe that they're followers of Jesus. You know, the way that, you know, Josh and um, Clay love each other, like, yeah, I, I think that they're both followers of Jesus, because that's what Jesus said. But the crazier one for me is in John 17, 21, Jesus is praying to the Father. And by the way, when Jesus prays for stuff, he gets it, okay? So, like, it's not a hope and a dream. And, and this is important because this is such a crazy prayer that if anyone else prays this, it's like heretical. But Jesus prays something that is one of the most profound things in scriptures. He says, Father, I want them, and he's talking about the whole church, not just his 12, 11 disciples. He says, Father, I want them to all be one as you and I are one. <laughs> what? Look, if that doesn't blow your mind, you're not thinking about that, that word, that phrase very much. I want them, I want the church to be one just like you and I are one. And this is what he says will happen. Because when they do that, the world will know that you sent me. So here's, so, so here's what someone's going to see. They're going to see that, that, that Tim and I love each other and serve each other. And they're going to be like, yeah, I believe that they're followers of Jesus. And then they're going to see the church being one like this. And someone's going to say, look... This is ridiculous. Who lives like this? Who does this? I don't know, man. I don't, I never thought about it much before, but like they say they follow Jesus and they do this stuff. Like, I don't know, man. Maybe Jesus is God. Like, maybe he came from heaven. Because, like, how else do you explain this church? How else do you explain these people? It, there's something not from around here going on in these folks. And this is the oneness that God is calling us to. One of the most common metaphors in Scripture for the church, for the body, is, is this idea of a body. It's used all over Scripture. And I just want you to think about this word picture for a minute. Your body has never had this conversation, right? Your, your brain um, has never, like, said to your hand, hey, um, would you grab that cup of water for us? And the hand's like, that sounds like a brain problem. Like, I'm not going to do it. Like, this is never, never happens, right? Like, or, or like, you know, the eyes see the hand going towards the hot stove, and they're like, brain, tell the, tell the hand to stop. And the brain's still a little bitter about the water. He's like, whatever, it sounds like a hand problem to me. Like, it, it, it would never happen. It's even kind of ridiculous to even think about it. But listen, this is actually the picture of the body of Christ. This is actually the image that God himself gave to us of how we are to be as a church. And, and it perfectly illustrates, this, this idea that we are to be one with one another is, is really a, a phenomenal and in some ways a supernatural calling. But then, look at, look at this a little bit closer as we keep going through. Look how this is both passive and active. This is passive and active. Here's what I mean by that. Look at the passive part. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Okay? Don't impose on others. Don't do selfish things. Selfish ambition is being driven by what you want. Conceit is that my desires rule everything. Listen, your, your good 
your feelings, your interests, your desires, they are not to be your decision-making grid. What you think is good, what you want, what you desire, what you feel, that is not to be the grid by which you make life decisions. I, um, I fly a little bit for work. I, I drove here. I, I drove most places in our district, but I have other meetings other places, and so I spend a fair bit of time in airports and airplanes. And I am becoming convinced that flying brings out the worst in people. Like, things happen on airplanes that would never happen in any other part of life. Like, there's no... So, like, for instance, this, this happens. True story. I'm sitting on a plane the other day, and I see this man and this wife walking down, and right in front of me, there's three seats, and there's a dude right in the middle. And this husband and wife, they're like, you know, I don't know, maybe in their 60s. It's like some cute old, you know, older couple, and they're walking down. And, and she goes, excuse me, sir, um, my husband and I have these two seats. Would you mind moving so we could sit by each other? And he goes... No. I was like, what? What is wrong with you? I mean, can you imagine walking up to someone at a basketball game or on a park bench and being like, hey, man, can you scoot over so my wife and I can sit by each other? No, you guys sit right here, and you just try to talk across me the whole time. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, this wouldn't happen anywhere else in life. Or, or like, you know, when the plane lands, and then, like, the ding goes off, for this, and everyone just sort of rushes out off the plane, like, in the aisles. Like, like you're the only one in the world that has somewhere to be. You know, can you imagine having that like in a grocery store? You know, like what happens when you and another cart get to the same line? You're like, oh, no, you go, no, you have fewer, th- oh, okay. And can you imagine it's like, you know, like, like it, but you know what? This is actually a picture of what it looks like to make your life decisions on a grid that just is no one else matters. It's just me. That's what people are doing on a plane. It's just me. So the question for us, right, is do we do this in other parts of our life? Are we, are we making decisions through the lens of like, only if it's good for me? But it's not just passive, it's also active. And, and here's what I mean by that. He says in, in the scripture, he says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And by the way, the context for this letter, um, I, I just want to make sure that we're clear here, is not like to every single person on the planet. It's actually written just to the church, to the, to the local church, actually. And, and we are to actively be looking for ways to benefit others. So not only don't be a jerk, don't be selfish, don't be conceited, but actually you should look to the interest of others. So I love hammocks. I don't have a hammock right now. Um, and so my birthday's in January, and my address is... No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I would love to have a hammock. So when I meet someone new or we go over to a friend's house for the first time and they're, like, showing me the backyard, I'm, like, I'm looking for a hammock, seriously. I'm like, I wonder if these guys have a hammock. Um, and, and I just, you know, like, and, I'm, and then I'm jealous and I have to repent and all that stuff. But, but, my, but my eyes are, like, looking for a hammock. But you know what is interesting about that? A hammock doesn't benefit my eyes at all. It benefits my back. It benefits my feet. It calms my mind. But my eyes are kind of the same whether they're in a hammock or not. My eyes are actively looking to benefit another part of my body. This is how we are to be with one another. Even if you've never read the Bible, perhaps you've heard the story of Cain and Abel, one of the more famous stories in the Bible. 
these two brothers, Cain kills Abel with the leg of a table. That'll help you remember that. Not actually a leg of a table, but that's how I learned it. Um, but Cain kills Abel, right? And he kind of covers it up. And then God comes to Cain and he says, and, and, and this is the line that maybe you've heard. You, you said, hey, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Like God goes a different way with him because he has another conversation. But the answer that screams out of scripture is absolutely you are your brother's keeper. For 100%. Yeah, like, listen, Calvary Alliance, you are each other's keepers. You are. God, God is saying that to us, and, and, and often we're like Cain, and we're like, not my problem. That looks like a Laura problem. That sounds like a Jackie problem. Stinks to be them. Listen, I know that, that maybe the examples here are are. are a little more extreme for the illustration, but like, do you, do you do this? Do we, do we actively plan our life around the good of, of others, the good of those here? Do we make decisions about like, yeah, you know, I, that would be fun, but and I wonder what, I wonder what Henry needs. I wonder what Mike needs. How could I be a blessing to Darla today? Do we, do we think like that? We think like that. Fourthly, and actually, as some of you saw the, this passage, this is probably where you thought I was going to go with this message. We see the example of Jesus. The example of Jesus. I'm going to read this again. It says, verse, starting in verse 5, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? So he says, have this mind, this sort of preferring others in love. Have this, which is yours. It's, it's yours in Christ Jesus. Who? And then he gives the example. Did not consider, um, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, there is a lot of good stuff in these few verses about Jesus, about how he is God and how, you know, all of this great Christology and every knee will bow. Listen, all that's there, and I'm not arguing that it's there, but it's primarily there to serve as an example for what we just read, right? In fact, actually, if you have some time this afternoon, read the rest of the chapter, because after giving the example of Jesus, Paul gives the example of himself, and then he gives the example of Timothy, and then he gives the example of Epaphras, He's making the point to say, I want you to do these things. And by the way, Jesus did it. I'm doing it. Timothy does it. Epaphras is like, this is what we are to do. It's the example of Jesus. He sets aside his ambition, his thoughts, his desires for the sake of the Father. And he places the Father's interest and even in some sense our interest, our good, above his own good and dies for us. And, and what's crazy is that um, 1 Corinthians 2 talks about that we can, by the Spirit, have the mind of Christ. And so what Jesus has done is possible for us to walk in because when God gives us his Spirit, he actually allows us to be able to have the same mindset that Jesus had. And so Jesus is our example in this. And so it's not like no one else has ever done this. Like, you know, one of the great things about Jesus is everything that he calls us to he's done or is doing because he's calling us to the same life he lives. He's calling us to the kingdom life. So fifth, 
I want to just say something about the key to walking this out. You may have noticed that I missed a line as we were kind of reading through this. And, and here's the line that I, I intentionally skipped over to come back to. It says this, In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Don Miller uh, had a great line once. Um, he said, life is a movie about me. And the reason I know this is because when I leave the room, the camera goes with me. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny way, and he was kind of talking about something like this. He's, um, but this idea, you know, that humility uh, is not really thinking less of ourselves, like, oh, I'm just this horrible. It's, it's thinking about ourselves left, less. And we are all hardwired intuitively to sort of from just the way we start is that life is a movie about me. Because... The cam- here's the camera. I mean, obviously, you guys are all, you know, sub-actors in a grand movie about me. Didn't you know that? But look, like, look to your left and to your right. Listen, we are to, con- like, you're to consider these people, we're to consider each other as more significant than ourselves. Life is not a movie about me. Life is a movie about you. And this is difficult. In fact, I think this is, the, this is where, where if you're tracking with this and trying to do some of this on your own, this is where the wheels fall off the wagon because you can't do this. This is otherworldly. This is super... It, it, look, it, it, yes, your body cares for itself and you can kind of understand that, but like, it is not natural for us to co-star in a movie about us. <laughs> it is not natural for you to co-star in your own movie. Like... That is not, that's really hard to think about, that these people around here, whoever is around me, they are more significant than I am. But when God does this in us and he puts his spirit into us, we actually have the ability to start living like this. This this is not, listen, some of these things that God calls us to, I know there are places in scripture where um, Jesus or someone else uses hyperbole. You know what that is? Like when you just say something crazy, you know, when Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out because it's better to enter heaven with one eye. You know, like, look, we, we know that entering the kingdom of God is about faith. It's not about like physically, you know. But so th- there, there's hyperbole in the Bible, but this is not one of those places. And it, it feels like it because you're like, yeah, well, we'll never reach that, Jesus. Well, I don't know because Jesus prayed for it. And so I think it's on the horizon somewhere, and I don't think we should just look at it and be like, that'd be nice, never going to happen. Like, no, 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 no. We have to take this a little seriously and say, listen, God, by your spirit, if you, if you say you can do this in us, okay, then help us to do this. If these things are not working in us, if we are not moving in this direction, we may not have the spirit of God which means that we're not part of the kingdom of God. Because these things can only happen with the Spirit of God, right? It's a reflection of the Spirit's work. Like in some ways, this is actually a requirement to enter the kingdom of God. And I'm not talking about a requirement, you know, like so we have to attain something, but it's, it's kind of like when you say in marriage, it's, it's really required to love your spouse in marriage. What, I, what we're saying there is that, look, you can strive to do married things without love. And you can probably be successful for a while. But something's going to happen one day, and you're going to have an unguarded moment. 
your, your white knuckles are going to take a slip off the steering wheel. Something's going to happen, and you're going to, and what's going to come out of you is that you don't love your spouse. Like, listen, but when you, when you love the person you're married to, yeah, you still have to work at married things, but man, you're just set up for success, right? It's so much easier. And this is what God is saying. Like, look, you can try to do all these things. You can try to do all of these things without the Spirit of God. Go for it. Give it a shot. But the unguarded moment's coming, and, and, and it'll reveal that it was actually never true. It was all just a farce. But with the Spirit of God, even though we have to think about this and wrestle with it, and this is, I mean, honestly, it's why the admonition is here from Paul in the first place. Like, guys, you got to do this, Right? But it becomes possible with the Spirit of God. And that, you, you cannot do this without the Spirit of God. You cannot do this without the Spirit of God. You will fail. The things that God desires are out of your reach. They're, they're, they're out of our reach. These are crazy words and passages if we just try to do this on our own. But here's the thing that I think is so encouraging. Not only does God sort of set this bar and call us to it, he prays for us, but he says, look, uh, in Luke 11, he says, I, I desire to give you the Spirit of God. Like, you know, like a father likes to give good gifts to his children, I love to give you the Spirit of God. Those of you who are mothers or fathers, think about the joy that you have to give your kids a good gift. Listen, that is how God thinks about giving you his Spirit. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Here it comes. Like, I want so much for you to receive the Spirit of God. And so when we desire it, and then when we, we turn from sin and ask for it, he gives us his Spirit. And we begin to walk in obedience, and the Spirit comes more and more. And so I don't know what the Lord would be saying to you this morning. Maybe he's, he's pointing out, you know, these things aren't growing in you. What, is that, what does that say about the work of the Spirit of God in you? Maybe, maybe God has put some other thought in your mind. Maybe he's, he's invited you into something. There's been some thought that comes into your mind. You know, it's interesting to me. In James 1, some of you know this passage. Um, it says, and if you lack wisdom, you should pray and ask God who gives generously, generously without finding fault. But the next verse says, and if you ask, you shouldn't doubt, you should, you know, because then you're unstable. And, and sometimes I've seen like preachers and stuff like separate those two verses. Like one is about asking for wisdom and the other is about, you know, faithfully believing, but like you, they're right next to each other <laughs> in the same paragraph. And so here's what it means. Lord, give me wisdom. And then God puts a thought in your mind. Yeah, that might be the answer to your prayer, right? As we came in here and said, God, speak to us, please, from your word. And then right now, God is putting stuff in your mind it could be the Spirit of God speaking to you, shocking as that may sound, and we say, Lord, is this you? Does this line up with Scripture? Does this, yeah, I, I think this might be God speaking. Listen, if God is doing that right now, I want to encourage you to begin to walk in obedience with whatever that is. Acts 5.32, another quasi-terrifying passage of the Bible that says that he gives the Spirit to those who obey him. Because, friends, God won't give you his Spirit for you to disobey. He won't give you his spirit to do whatever in the world you want to do. He'll give you his spirit so that you can walk in obedience, so you can walk in the manner of Christ. And here's why this is important to us, because sometimes we come to God and we want to hear from God, and God, 
tells us something and we're like, mm, I don't know, and we sort of, and then, and, and we don't act on it, we don't do anything, and then the next time God comes to us, it's a little harder to hear, and then the next time, and after a while, you're like, I don't hear from God anymore. It's like, well, yeah, every time he talks to you, you say no and you don't obey. <laughs> Listen, I, I am pleading with you as a friend, whatever God is stirring in your heart this morning through this passage, whatever is going on in your soul and your mind right now, would you take our last worship song here in a, in a minute and would you, would you just respond to the Lord? I don't know if it has to do with putting aside your selfishness or your conceitedness. I don't know if it has to do with counting others as more significant. I don't know if there's a specific person or an instance in mind, if there's something that you need to apologize to someone for, if there's something that you've been feeling you need to do and you need to start doing it and you need to start patterns. I, I don't know. The Lord knows. And by the way, I don't know you enough well enough to like preach a sermon at you. So if you're feeling this, it's from the Lord. But can I just encourage you as a friend to not let these moments slip and harden your heart slowly to the voice of God by just not acting on it, whatever it is. Here's the thing. One of the greatest things you can do is say, Lord, I think this is what you want me to do. It lines up with everything that I know. If I'm about to do something dumb, would you just stop me? And you just have to trust the Lord to be able to stop you. If he can speak existence in to reality, if he can speak something in from nothing, he can stop you from doing a dumb thing when you want to do the right thing. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm so grateful for your word. I am so, so grateful that we have things from you that we don't, we don't have to wonder what, what you want us to do. You don't, we don't have to wonder about some of these things and be like, man, I hope I'm pleasing God. God, what do you want us to do? Lord, not only do we have your spirit, but we have your word, and then they work together. And so when we look at it like we do, like this morning, you just speak to us. And God, I pray. I pray that we would become people who are more and more obedient and more quickly obedient to the voice of your spirit. And I pray, God, not just for this, this local church and this body of believers, but Lord, I pray this for myself and my church at home. Lord, would you, would you help us to be one? Would you help us not to look at these things and say, there's no way. So that's a nice thought and it's inspirational. But Lord, would you help us to really wrestle with them and say, where, where am I the guy on the plane? Where am I the person that, man, I just don't think about others when I make life decisions. Oh God, please help us to be the kind of churches that when people see us, that they're struck with the thought that you want them to think that, man, maybe there's something to Jesus. There's, there's got to be something because these people are so different. And Lord, when that happens, we won't be able to claim any credit. Rightly, we won't be able to claim any credit because it'll all be you. It'll all be your spirit. It'll all be so that Jesus is exalted so that when he comes again, every knee bows and everyone's like, it's, it's all Jesus. It's so incredible. So Lord, thank you for this. Please help us in this to walk faithfully and to walk full of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.